Good morning. My name is Manny Lopez. I'm uh, part of the veterans organization that we have here. Um, and Stephen Woodstead, he, he put together something for us to say. And, uh, but he is sick today. So if you can just say a little prayer for him that he heals good. But here's the first thing I would like to do before I start anything. It's for our veterans. So if we have any people, veterans or anybody who served in our armed services, could you please stand? Thank you. Stay standing. If you are around any of these veterans, I'm going to place a hand on them, please, and we'll pray. Um, and but I want to start with this. We meet once a month as veterans here, and we'd love to invite anybody who hasn't come to one to come and, to, uh, come and see it. On the 14th, we're going to have pizza night. So nothing else. You get free pizza and conversation. So if you could just come and see, and they're going to have some information out on the front desk afterwards. Lord, thank you for the recognition of the faithful centurion in recording of Matthew 8, 5 through 10. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Lord, may we have such faith in your sovereignty. Let us not forget those who served and still serve. We pray that we remember their sacrifice. O oh, beautiful for heroes proved in liberating life, strife, who more than self, their country love and mercy more than life. America, America, may God thy goal refine till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, take a seat. Thanks for being here today. And we are continuing in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 42. So if you have your Bibles with you, take those out. If you have your smart device and have a Bible app on there, take those out. If you don't have a Bible app, uh, keep those smart devices away. I know you're looking at scores, so knock it off. Um, yeah, I just know. What would I be doing? Oh, um, anyway, uh, Genesis chapter 42, and we started... Uh, Tyler led us into this last week. We started looking at the life of Joseph. And Joseph is like one of the only people in the book of Genesis who you're going, good for you, Joseph. I mean, he's just doing well. And he keeps honoring God with his life. And so this last you know, section of Genesis that we're looking at to the end of Genesis is called unwavering. Well, we, we're calling it unwavering. Because, um, man, that's just Joseph. He, when he was 17 years old, his brothers sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. His dad was, um, you know, looking at Joseph as his favorite. And, you know, it wasn't Joseph's fault 
But um, there was big jealousy there. And his brothers sold him into slavery. And he was taken into Egypt. And he stayed faithful to God. He kept trusting God even when life stunk. I mean, as far as the things that were happening in life, it was hard. And yet, he knew in his heart, it is better to be with God through this and trust him, even when um, life gets tough. So he goes and he begins serving at a, uh, a person of authority's home in, in uh, Egypt, a man named Potiphar, and he's serving well, he's serving faithfully. Um, he's staying close to God in the midst of this. He's not saying, woe is me. He's not shaking his fist at God, but he's depending upon God and he's walking with God. And in the midst of that, Potiphar's wife falls for him and makes a move on Joseph and Joseph rebuffs it. And finally, he, he literally runs away from her. And in her humiliation, she accuses him of trying to rape her. He's falsely accused. He's a slave. He's being accused by a family that is powerful in Egypt. And so he's wrongly convicted. And he's imprisoned. And he, ste- and he keeps trusting God. Now, uh, I mean, we just got to ask. I mean, at that point, when he have every right to shake his fist at God and to say, okay, I'm going to rebel against you at least for a short time because this isn't working out the way I thought it would. But no, he knew that being faithful to God is better and healthier for him than even in difficult circumstances being unfaithful. And so he's unwavering. While in prison, he, um, he cares for other people. Other people have nightmares and dreams, and, and Joseph has this gift given to him from God that he can um, listen to somebody's dreams and he can interpret them. And so he does that for people in prison, and uh, it catches other people's eyes. And, and, uh, and there was a cupbearer who was wrongly imprisoned, cupbearer of Pharaoh who was wrongly imprisoned and, um, and has dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams and, and that cupbearer is released and is, is, goes back and, and begins serving Pharaoh. And he tells Joseph, don't worry, I've got you. I'm going to remember you. I'm going to get you out of here. And he doesn't. And Joseph remains faithful in his trust of God. Two years go by and that cupbearer remembers Joseph because Pharaoh starts having dreams and he doesn't know what they mean. And so he has his wise men that, that give him counsel, come to him and he tells them the dream and they can't figure it out. And the cupbearer remembers there was this guy in prison. I know it sounds weird, but if you're open to it, I think he can help you. And Pharaoh's desperate. He says yes. And so Joseph comes to Pharaoh and he's got his chance. And he stands before Pharaoh and he listens and God gives him the understanding of what that dream means. And he tells Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of plenty, great crops, we're gonna be prosperous, but then it's gonna be followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh goes, 
that's it. That's it. And um, so Joseph's message was we need to act wisely during these seven years so we're prepared for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, yes, and you're in charge. And he says, nobody will have more authority in the land of Egypt besides me than you. And so Joseph goes from prison to the palace and uh, he's placed in charge. And now he's, he's experiencing the prosperity of God. And he remains faithful to God. You know, sometimes a bigger challenge is when things are good, are you still dependent upon God? And Joseph is unwavering. Now, there's a, this famine in Egypt, but the famine is just not you know, focused on Egypt. It's surrounding areas as well. And so where Joseph is from, back in Canaan, where his dad and brothers are, um, it's experiencing uh, famine as well. And if we look at this map here, you'll get a little bit of an idea about, hey, if, if Egypt's experiencing it, of course Canaan's going to be experiencing it. So to the right is um, the land of Canaan. Uh, you, you see this looks like a big street going back and forth there. That's how many times uh, Joseph's brothers will have to go back and forth from their home on the right to where he's at and on the left. And so Beersheba, Beersheba um, Hebron is the area in which they lived. Hebron is the place where the, uh, um, the founding fathers of the, of the Hebrew nation is, are buried. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob will be buried in Hebron. Um, Beersheba is probably where they're living a lot and where their, uh, their flocks are. And so they're going back and forth. Now, you look at this map and you look at Egypt there and it's, it's, there's a tent of green all over it. And th this is why this would happen. The Nile River is coming up from the south and, um, and it, on a regular year, it floods its banks. And this was just a normal, regular occurrence. So it would flood its banks. It would be carrying a lot of sediment in the river. And when it would flood, it would deposit that um, on the shorelines for, I mean, maybe a mile, maybe two miles in either direction. The result is, over time, that became rich, rich farmland. Very, I mean, great for um, agriculture. And that is true to this day. I mean, you think of, oh yeah, Egypt, desert. I've seen the, I've seen the pyramids, desert. Here's the truth. Shocked me. I, I got to go there one time and um, standing, looking at the pyramids there at Cairo. And, you know, all the pictures I'd ever seen of them, it's like pyramid, desert. So I found out that they were all taking it from this angle. Because when she turned around and looked there, it was lush green. I'm going, what? I've been lied to. I never knew this. I mean, if you stand at the base of the biggest pyramid there outside of Egypt, you know, where the Sphinx is, and if you stand up against that rock and you turn around, I mean, you're a par four away from a golf course. Seriously. I mean, it is, there's, it's lush, and it's from the Nile River and the sediment and great agricultural land to this day. And so uh, they took advantage. And so if, if Egypt was suffering from a famine, you knew Canaan was, because Canaan was much more desolate 
and was really dependent upon rainwater and and capturing it in well water. And they would dig these holes in the ground and, and line them with plaster. And, and then from the hills, they would build channels to go into those. Those are called cisterns. And they would capture rainwater. If it rained in the hills, they would capture that water because water was precious. First time I visited Israel, um, we're, we're touring Israel, and one day it rains. And I'm thinking, doesn't that figure? I mean, I'm in the Middle East, and I live in Oregon, and I leave Oregon and go to the Middle East, and it rains. And, uh, you know, so I'm just going, oh, man, I can't believe it. And our tour guide gets up and said, what a blessing of God. God is blessing us today with rain. And I'm going, you want to be rain? You want to be blessed? Go to Oregon. We're really blessed. Um, but to this day, rain is seen as a blessing from God in, in, in that part of the world. And um, so Canaan was suffering as Egypt was suffering, but even worse. And so Jacob hears that, hey, they've, they've thought ahead in Egypt, and there are resources in Egypt, and we are dying. We will die. We need, to, we need to get some grain. We need to get some supplies. And so he goes to his sons and says, I'm sending you on a survival mission to Egypt to buy supplies. Now, his sons in the back of their mind, no doubt are thinking, Egypt, well, we sent somebody to Egypt you don't know about. And, uh, and it's been haunting them because they're basically living on a trade route. And so there are tradespeople going back and forth from Egypt all the time, going through their land. And they, I don't know this, but I'm thinking if I'm them with the guilt and the pain of my past, knowing what I've done, I'm waiting for one of those tradespeople sometime to stop and say, hey, the weirdest thing happened in Egypt. You know, I was just, I was at the marketplace and, there was this uh, slave there, and they said, hey, do you happen to go through Canaan, and do you happen to know Jacob and his family? And um, actually, I know them too because I'm one of the sons. And I, I, I think they're living in fear of that happening one day and them being found out. And so they have this cloud over them, and they have this angst in their heart, and that's what they're living under. And now dad says... I need to send you to Egypt. And they're going, well, it's a big place. I mean, really, the likelihood of us bumping into Joseph is next to none. So I think we're fine. And so verse 3, chapter 42, verse 3. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Okay, Joseph's got a bunch of brothers, but... Jacob had the love of his life. I mean, love at first sight. And he had only two sons with the love of his life. And that was Joseph and Benjamin. Jacob thinks Joseph is dead. And he only has Benjamin left. And so what's this telling us? This is telling that for Jacob, the pain of the past is still haunting him. He is not healed. 
And so he's overprotective of Benjamin. I mean, this is a mission for the survival of his kids and his kids' kids. And he's saying, I'm not, I'm not risking Benjamin. He's not going. And so there's unresolved pain in the life of Jacob. Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold all the people, sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Man, what are you, what, what's going through your mind if you're Joseph? I, I, I can guarantee there's a physical reaction. There is adrenaline pumping. How about his mind? He's got to be thinking, oh my gosh, these are my brothers who sold me into slavery. Are they still jerks? Did they treat Benjamin like they treated me? Is dad alive? I mean, there has to be so many conflicting things going on. This is an opportunity for me to take out vengeance, to get them back. But I think what he's thinking is, is there any chance we can be reconciled? Wow. And I think that because of kind of the tests that he sets up. You know, when somebody's hurt you and has been, shows that they are not trustworthy, um, you can forgive, but it doesn't mean you're going to be reconciled. Because I can't trust you. I can forgive you, but it doesn't mean I trust you. And so I'm placing boundaries, so I'm not ever um, put myself in a situation where you can um, take advantage of me again. So you put boundaries up because of that. I think Joseph is thinking, um, I've already forgiven him. I wonder if I could trust him. And so he, he sets up some tests. So here we go. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where did you come from, he said. And they said, well, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. I mean, he has changed a lot more than they have. He was 17 the last time that they saw him. Now he's, um, he's 39. Okay, it's been 22 years. So, so here's something as I read through this passage, and it, it just keeps coming up. And it's this, here's the point. Not dealing with the pain of our past will haunt our present and our future. It will haunt our present and our future. And it is no small thing to deal with the pain of our past. But if we don't, we're going to suffer from it. And, and we see it in the brothers and we see it in Jacob. Now, um, is there a season of your past? Is there an event of your past? that uh, still haunts you? You know, Satan in the Bible is called the accuser. And what he does is he loves to take those things and keep bringing them up to us and beating us up. Satan uses you against you. All right? Um, God says, I can give you freedom from that. 
but we have to deal with the pain of our past. And typically we don't like doing that because it's painful, right? It's like, that was painful. I still carry pain from it. Why would I ever want to step back into that pain? Uh, Because you can learn and you can grow and you can experience freedom. Um, Maybe it's not something you did, but maybe it's something done to you. Like Joseph. Joseph was treated unjustly. He was abused. If that's in our past, I can guarantee you if we haven't gone through a process of dealing with that, it impacts the way we see the world. It impacts the way we see ourselves. It impacts our current relationships. Guaranteed. And sometimes we're the last ones to see it. We're the last ones to see it. It undealt with pain from our past will haunt our present and our future. And chapter 42 is just screaming to us. Now, um, the, the brothers don't recognize him, and that's for a few reasons, I think. It, it's, number one, he's no longer little Joey. He's grown up full-grown man. He's not speaking the language. He's speaking Egyptian. They aren't really close to him. They're far away from him. They're not making contact. He's an authority. They're not. They're coming here to, um, to beg that they would be allowed to purchase supplies. And so they are bowed down before him, not looking at him, looking like Jacob's brothers. But he's not looking like little Joey. Full-grown man in authority in Egypt. We, we know from... Um, writings from antiquity as well as uh, you know, paintings and so forth that there was a look. There was a look for an Egyptian man in authority. Uh, the first thing is that you were shaven free of hair. No hair on the head. No, no hair. You also sported this kind of prominent thing that um, Egyptian men in authority did had is that they would take horse hair and they would basically shellac it to be this long, stiff black hair and then they would glue it as a goatee to their chin. It was really cool. <laughs> but that's what they did. So he's standing up there at some distance and um, as an authority... They're not really looking at him. He doesn't look anything like Joey. And they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them. Verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamt of them. Where they were bowing before him. It's one of the reasons they hated him. Because he didn't have the, the filter enough, the maturity enough to not tell them. He said, hey, there's a day you guys are going to bow before me. And they're like, we hate you. You are dad's favorite. And it just, became, it just grew and grew and grew until they, they thought about killing him. But then they sold him instead. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And th- this would have been a, a fairly common thing. I mean, it was Joseph's responsibility 
to find out who's honest, hardworking families who are looking to buy supplies because they are in survival mode. And who are those people coming to our land wanting to rip us off, wanting to steal um, up to no good because they know we have supplies? And so this is a normal thing. This is a natural thing. And um, so Joseph is doing that, but he's also, I think, being tough on them because he wants to, to test their character. And where are they at? Now, um, you're probably thinking, as I was thinking, in Joseph's mind had to be, how can I take a pound of flesh out of these guys? I mean, I've gone through hell. And uh, this is an opportunity for me to enact justice. But I don't think he was there. And let me tell you why. It's because if we go back to the end of the chapter before it, end of chapter 41, during the seven years of prosperity. By the way, I think we're probably a couple years into the famine at this point. So during the seven years of prosperity, it says Joseph has a couple of kids. Chapter 41, verse 51, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my, and all my father's house. In 52, in the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What I think happening here is maybe the greatest achievement of Joseph in being faithful to God all those years. The greatest of all is that he leaned into God to find healing for the pain of his past. He wasn't holding it as a weapon to wield and to take out on others. But he was freed. I mean, the grace of God helped him find healing from the pains and injustice of his past. And so he looks at his brothers and he can look at them with a clear head thinking, are they still jerks? Are they trustworthy? Man, my heart wants reconciliation. But I don't know if I can trust them. That's where his mind is. It's not, oh man, you guys are in trouble. Unresolved pain from our past can rot our soul. It can just rot our soul. It can impact how we see the world, how we see relationships, how we act in relations. Sometimes we are undermining relationships and we don't know why. And we're stuck in patterns. If we've experienced pain and abuse in our past, maybe even in our childhood as a child, we learn to, how do we survive? And those are good survival you know, mechanisms and, and skills as a child, but as we get older, we, if we keep living out the same patterns, um, they are not healthy adult patterns. And so we need to step into that pain and to say, how, how, do, how do I deal with the hurt in my soul? How do I deal with, with all the patterns I have that are built in my head about how I react to people and how I see people and how do I get healing from that so I can see people the way God sees people. And that's a journey. 
It's a journey that maybe, uh, man, you, if you know somebody who's been on that journey, ask them, did you, who helped you in counseling? You know, a counselor is trained to help step into that pain because it's painful, it's hard. It's, it's like I said, it's no small thing. But to do that in a way that gets you to understand it, acknowledge it, and then to begin to heal. And that's a journey, and that's a process. But God can use those pains of our past to grow us up and to heal us and to help us to experience freedom from those things. So we're not held captive by them. And that's where Joseph is at. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but my pain is like a reoccurring thing and I'm just imprisoned by it. And uh, you know, maybe a, a great first step would be to go to CR on Wednesday night, celebrate recovery. Because I mean, it is a ministry that helps us embrace what's true about God and what's true about ourselves and helps us find freedom in our hurts, in our habits, in our hangups. And so Wednesday night, celebrate recovery. That could be a great step. Find a mentor who um, you can share with and who will listen and who will say, I'm, I'm committed to pray for you. I'm committed to encourage you. And as you go through this process, um, you can talk to me and process out loud and I'll commit to um, just point out where you start to slip into believing lies. And I'll, I'll, I'll love you through the process. But we need to step into that. We need to step into it and, uh, and begin to experience things. Listen to this. You don't hear anything else. If I'm speaking to you this morning and you're hearing, oh my gosh, yeah, this is for me. Um, you step into your pain, there's better days ahead for you. There's better days ahead. Days like you haven't yet experienced uh, from bearing that pain inside you. We'll talk about a little bit more. Verse 11. This is um, Joseph's brother's now speaking to Joseph, and they say, we are all sons of one man, and we are honest men. So I think Joseph choked a little bit there. Verse 13, and they said, we are, we, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one who is no more. And that would be Joseph, they think. And Joseph finds out a couple things right there. He finds out, first of all, Benjamin's alive and dad's alive. And so he puts him into, into, into uh, custody for three days while he's thinking through, what do I do? What do I do? And then he brings him back and he says, I'm going to let all of you go back to your land, back to Canaan. And I'm going to let you go back to your family. And I'm going to let you take supplies with you. But, verse 20, and then bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. He's saying, I'm letting you all go back, but one of you I'm keeping. When you go back home, I want you to bring your youngest brother to me. 
and the, that will prove that what you told me is true. Now he's being good to them, but he's being tough on them. He's giving them a difficult thing to do. But uh, I mean, he could have said, okay, I'm, I'm going to let... Uh, I'm going to keep all of you here, and I'm letting one of you go back. And here's why I don't think he did that. I, I think he was thinking, if I let one of you go back, there's no way you can bring all the supplies that your family and extended family need to survive. Um, there's no way that's going to happen, and I care for you and your extended family. And so I'm going to keep one of you and extend the rest of you back with enough supplies for your family. And so I think even in that, I mean, also that's protection. If you go back together as a group, you're not going to get mugged. You have all these supplies. They're very valuable. Um, you'll have better chance of, of safety. Now, they begin talking amongst themselves, and Joseph is still standing there, and they're talking to each other because they're talking in a language out, you know, that's not Egyptian, which they think Joseph that's all he understands. And so let's talk amongst ourselves. And so they do it, and Joseph is listening to them, and this is what they say in verse 30, uh, 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul, and when he begged us, we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And so there's, they're, they're going back in that moment they're, they're instantly going back to them selling Joseph off into slavery and saying, our sin is finding us out. I mean, nothing good's happening in our life because we're, we're constantly um, hounded by the memory of our past and what we did. And Joseph is listening to them. And he's thinking, that's a good first step and it is. I mean, God tells us, he, said, he says, uh, come to him and be truthful about what we've done. And then recognize the forgiveness he offers. And we agree with God about what we did, and now we agree with him that we're turning away from it. And so they did the first part. They agreed with God in that what they did was wrong, and it was evil, and it's haunting them. But then they didn't, they didn't do the rest of it. They didn't go to God for forgiveness. But you know, it's, it's interesting, when, um, when we're guilty, a lot of time we think God thinks like us. I did this, and if I was God, I would punish me. I, I would you know, make my life miserable. And we project on God our characteristics. And God's going, come to me. I want to forgive you. I don't want you to have to live under this for the rest of your lives. I've made a way for you to be forgiven and experience freedom. See, sometimes we, we project on God stuff that God never did and isn't thinking, but we're projecting on him what we would think. And I think that's what they're doing. They're, just, they're connecting the dots. Man, you know, life is hard on us. This is going bad. We're going to be in trouble. And it's because of the evil that we've done in the past. So um, sin gives us guilt, but then also sin keeps us in guilt. Because instead of going to God, I mean, sometimes sin messes up. Um, well, let me read this next thing. Verse 24. And then he, Joseph, turned away and he wept. 
He turned away and he wept. Um, six times from this point through the rest of Genesis, it says Joseph wept. When he sees his dad, when he sees his brother, when he forgives, when his dad dies, um, he, he weeps. And uh, I just think that gives us a glimpse into the, the soft heart of Joseph, who had every reason to have a heart that was hard and protected and where he was just not letting people in because of how he was treated in the past. But because he faced his pain of the past and experienced the grace of God, he could see people the way God sees people. I don't know about you, but as I get older, uh, I cry more. Bugs me. But I think it is actually a sign of growth for me because I'm caring for people more. And when people hurt, I hurt. And I think that's what we're seeing here in Joseph. And by the way, you know, I mean, sometimes you say, I cry all the time. I think Jacob was crying all the time. But Jacob's tears were about his own pain. I think maturity is, am I crying more for the pain of others? Or is it all about me? And I think Joseph um, had dealt with this past. Verse 25, and, Jesus, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. And this was done for them. I, I think Joseph, without them knowing, I think he paid for all their grain out of his own pocket. And I think he did that for a couple reasons. One was because um, he cares for him. But two was he just asked them to make the trip all the way back home and then all the way back to him. And I want to make sure that they have the provisions to do it. I want to make sure they can afford this. This isn't cheap. And so he was tough, but he was good. It's good to his brothers. Verse 28 and he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Oh, no. So then their brothers are going home. And on their way home, one of them looks into the bag of grain. On top of the grain is the money that was supposed to purchase that grain. And so that brother's kind of panicking. And he says this. He says to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And at this, their hearts failed them. And they returned trembling to one another, saying, what is it? that God has done to us. They're looking at this and going, this is terrible. We are so much in trouble. This is a terrible thing. God is getting us. Remember, there's keep connecting everything to their guilt. It's like going to the grocery store and, and buying a couple bags of groceries, coming home, put them on the counter, go to put them away, and all of a sudden you see the cash that you used to pay for it was put in the grocery bag. And you can think two things. You can think, oh my gosh, that checker thinks I just stole the groceries. Uh, this, this, this is terrible. Or you can think, oh, the blessings of God. I bet you, I bet you that checker just thought, I'm, I'm going to pass on goodness, and I'm going to pay for the groceries. So you can do two things. But I tell you, if you're hounded by pain in the past and guilt in the past, you are always going to be thinking, 
I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. See, the pain in our past can turn blessings into terror. I mean, I've done this before. And I'm trusting that I'm not the only super strange person. Um, but there have been times in my life where I did not recognize a blessing from God because I didn't want God to be aware that he blessed me. Because I thought if, he, if I thanked him, then I'd be making him aware of a blessing that was a mistake. And he would take it back. Because I'm just living under this cloud of guilt. And it messes up my view of God. It messes up my view of myself. It messes up my view of my circumstances and all of life. And so the guilt and unresolved pain of our past um, keeps us in prison. Verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, they get home and they start telling him what happened. And they tell him, by the way, um, you know, he, he's, he's held one of us behind because um, we need to bring Benjamin to him to prove that we weren't lying. And here's Jacob's response. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children Joseph is no more, and Simeon, Simeon's the one who was left back. Simeon, it, you know, typically it'd be Reuben, because Reuben's the oldest. But um, Joseph kept Simeon. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because Simeon, like, killed a whole city worth of men. So he's thinking, I think he'll be fine in prison. I don't know. But um, <laughs> um, he kept Simeon behind. And, uh, and Jacob says, and now you would take Benjamin from me? All this has come against me. Man, Jacob is stuck in his pain. He's stuck in his fear. He's overprotective of Benjamin. And he's just assuming the worst everywhere. He's stuck in the pain of his past and he has not healed and he does not trust and he just assumes bad things are going to keep happening. And in contrast, Joseph was having bad things continually happen and he stayed faithful to God and he trusted him. Joseph was not like his dad. Joseph had learned and Joseph had stepped into the pain of his past and sought for what it was and he allowed the grace of God to heal him. Our wounds of the heart are difficult to address. Here's the problem with burying our wounds and thinking that that's a good solution. We can change jobs. We can change our spouses. We can change states. We can change our name. We can change our careers. We can change our churches. We can change our friends. And wherever we end up, you're still there. You see, when you bury hurt and sins of the past, Wherever you do, whatever you grow, whatever you, you do to try to change them or, or forget about them, you're taking them with you. You're taking them with you. And that, that's, not, that's not a plan. That's not a way to be healthy. How do, how do, we, how do we deal with them? 
For 22 years, Jacob has been bitter. Everything is against me. Here's what we do. We deal with the pain of the past by facing the truth and accepting God's grace. By facing the truth and accepting God's grace. Call it for what it was. I mean, the, the, the brothers had got to the place where they weren't making excuses for it anymore, but they were recognizing the evil that they had done. But then they left it there and they said, okay, we're just going to carry the pain and they're not dealing with it. And part of it is saying, this is who I am. This is what I did. You know, Peter, the night that Jesus was arrested, he denied Jesus three times. Remember that? Jesus' greatest hour of need. And here's Peter, the one who says, I will die for you. And yet he denies even knowing Jesus when Jesus is arrested. Jesus dies on the cross, rises, rises from the dead, and meets up with Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked him this question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? I think he's driving home this point to Peter. Yeah, that happened. That was real. You did that. And I know you. And I love you. And I want you to receive my forgiveness and accept my grace because I do not want you walking under that cloud anymore. I mean, how important was that for Peter? Peter could be getting up in the beginning, you know, Acts chapter two, the beginning of the church and preaching to thousands of people and all of a sudden think, I have no right to be up here. I denied Jesus in his greatest hour of need. And Satan could have just beat, beat him up. And Jesus knew that and says, no, you, you need to not walk under that pain and guilt anymore. I know you. I love you. I forgive you. You're free. You're free. And then the pain of our past uh, done to us or, or stupid things that we've done are no longer a, a weapon against our soul, but they're a treasure for us to point to, to remember the goodness of God. God's good. First John 1, 9. Man, if you don't know it, memorize it. Claim it. If we confess our sins, this is what I did, God. I didn't trust you. And because of that, I took things in my own hand and I did something evil. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse, washed, clean. If we are living in a cloud of guilt, we are not seeing ourselves as clean. We're seeing ourselves as marred, dirty, unusable. And God says, I am offering you forgiveness to where I, when I see you, I see you through the lens of Jesus Christ, my son, who died for sin so that you can be forgiven, washed, clean, cleansed, no stain anymore. And you're free. You're free. We're going to take communion. And it is... Um, 
a chance for us to reconnect and remember what Jesus did for us so that we can be forgiven. We take a little piece of bread, and that stands for the body of Christ that was crucified for us. And the cup stands for the blood that was spilt for us because he took on the shame. He took on the guilt. He took on the pain. And he says, I'm going to die and take all that on me so that I can give you forgiveness and purity and be clean. And so as we take communion, let's take a moment and just get our hearts right. And if you have been on this journey um, and have not stepped into the pain of the past, I think you, you know, talk to God about it. And what step are you going to take? CR on Wednesday nights, great place. Maybe it's time to go into counseling and deal with some of the pain of the past. But what, what, what's going to help you realize the forgiveness and the hope and that you don't need to carry this going forward anymore. And so when you, your heart is right, take the bread and the cup and thank God for his goodness to us. And we pray and then we will uh, take communion. Father, I thank you that you are a good God who pursues us. I thank you that here in these um, you know, ancient times, 4,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, that uh, we're learning about people that are just like us, you know, done dumb things, taking control of their life, not trusting you. And then like many of us um, live with it, live under that, under that shadow, under that guilt, under that pain. And Father, we want to push into your grace to recognize that um, you're a good God who knows us and you love us and you offer forgiveness. So Father, I pray for each person as they take a step in their journey with you, as they listen to you today, and then take a step to follow you, I pray that you would give them victory. I pray that there would be um, those who are carrying such deep pain, I pray that you would give them freedom in their future, give them a perspective that their future can be a different future and it can be full of hope, and full of, of, of a different way to see the world and see themselves and see others. Father, we lift this to you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.